the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Welcome into the fastest hour in financial media. Yesterday, Walmart was down 11.3%. Today, Target's down 25%. Oopsie. I own shares of Target. Long-term hold, I plan to hold it till maybe the day I die. Right? I throw that out there because the segments be a lot about Target. Probably. Americans are talking about one thing and one thing only. It's inflation. No, it's the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I got to give you credit, America. You are easily distracted from something that's obvious in the world. But Johnny Depp Amber Heard taking up more media space than the abortion fight with the Supreme Court with inflation, taking up more space than Joe Biden and Elon Musk. People are fascinated with Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. Congratulations, America. You failed yet again. Look at the shiny ball. The health of the U.S. consumer is just very confusing to figure out right now. We are seeing higher levels of debt. Walmart whiffed badly on its first quarter earnings as higher costs took a huge bite out of profits. Um, Shipping in particular. National retail spending in April increased for the fourth straight month, despite inflation nearing a 40-year high. This led to Target. Target's an interesting one for me because they're considered a little more upper middle class shopping experience or middle middle class, whereas Walmart's considered lower classes, uh, lower income, lower middle class. It's interesting, wow, you say? Target's done some nice things in the past, and we'll get to some of them, but let's talk about what Target did and didn't do correctly here. They're dropping 20 to 25% this morning. They had earnings, but their margins were really miserable. Income operating margin, which I don't expect you to know all about, uh, came down to a 6% number from a previous target of about 8%. The margins in technology and software are way higher than the margins in hardware. So Apple, when they say their software services are doing really, really well, Wall Street says, yay, that's better than hardware margins. Same thing can happen in retail. I don't like a lot of grocery stores. Like, uh, I love the visibility of a grocery store like a Kroger's or an Albertsons. But I hate the visibility of a grocery store because in the end, the profit margins are 2 to 4% most. So when you go into Safeway and you spend $400, it's not like there's some guy in the back room saying, ah, I'm going to go buy a Twitter with a buddy I made here today. Target stock. This is an opportunity for a long-term patient investor, in my opinion, who wants a diversified portfolio with a stock that has a nice dividend. Throughout the quarter, they faced unexpectedly high costs driven by a number of factors, which caused their profit margins to be hit. 
it's interesting because Target's a big company and they're usually very good about managing their earnings. I'd say engineering their earnings and they just missed it. This was a whiff uh, like no other. This was like taking a swing and the ball hits your hands instead of the bat and you just broke fingers. Walmart typically serves a lower income shopper than Target. In addition, Walmart's management said it's on its conference call that not all consumers had notably altered their behavior. That some had seen growth in higher ticket items like gaming consoles of late. It didn't bode well for Target. Last government stimulus checks went out more than a year ago. They've been mostly uh, missed now for the lower income of America. Target depends on less, Target depends a lot less on low margin grocery than Walmart. Target tries to attract wealthier customers who want to spend a little bit more on their clothes and a little bit more on um, TVs. Target's ongoing curbside and in-store pickup growth has allowed them to fulfill more online orders from stores, a cheaper option than shipping. I do like curbside pickup. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, ultimate and lazy for me, right? But a couple things in the Target story that I want to share with you. They sell a wide assortment of general merchandise, food, perishables, groceries, dairy, frozen items. They've got about 1,925 stores in the United States. They've got an online business, target.com. It sells a broad range of household goods, pet supplies, running shoes, electronics, decor, furniture, all with national brands tied towards them. But one of the things they, they kind of showboated a little yesterday was their limited time collaboration on clothes. Please forgive me for not saying this correctly. Isaac Mizarazzi, fashion designer a couple of years ago made a deal with Target and their, their, their towels were lovely. Like suddenly it was like they had some good stuff in store, like some really fashionable stuff. And Gap's kind of experimented with this too, of using high-end French designers for their clothes, but then manufacturing them with really low cost, cost quality. Um, there's something to be said for fashion. So Target's limited time collaboration They've made a relationship with a woman named Tabitha Brown, who I don't know a lot about. She's a person of color. They're trying to increase racial equality with a number of Black-owned brands. I'm all for that. Uh, and I'm all for the, what different people bring to the table of design. The collaboration was created with a focus on offering a thoughtfully curated assortment of that spans several categories. Um, but unlike Walmart, Target does tend to try to be more expansive in their, their business model. And I like that. So neither here nor there. That's not going to earn me a bucket of chips today, is it? Uh, Miami is trying to become the Silicon Valley next move. Plenty of towns are trying to become the next Silicon Valley from Atlanta's Silicon Peach, Salt Lake City's Silicon Slopes. They've all tried to replicate what California does well. The truth is California's got two great universities, Stanford and Berkeley, really close. That creates a lot of the engineers that work at, uh, at tech startups. And Miami's actually got a pretty good uh, angle here. They've got great weather. 
They got a crypto love and mayor. They got the rise of remote work. They got a cheaper cost of living, better quality of life, lower taxes. It's kind of a have it all hub, if you will. Netflix has cut 150 staffers. Uh, they've cut an additional 70 workers from its animation studio and 60 to 70 contractors from social media and publishing. If you do a little play on that, that's about 2% of their workforce. And if you do a math on, let's say, the people make 50000 let's say 100000 you can see the labor is a big cost. And this is a good way for Netflix to save millions. It sucks because you're going to see more of it. You're going to hear more of me saying companies are right-sizing. Once we have earnings misses from Target and Walmart, once companies get in this pattern of having a bad report, getting it out of the way, the way they're going to fix it, Target's going to say, we're going to make some cuts at our headquarters. We're going to try a new plan to consolidate three positions into one. You're going to see this as a big trend in the next six months, corporate layoffs. You haven't really started seeing it yet. It's coming. Apple's delaying its return to office plan again. Wow. <laughs> wow is all I could say. Wow. We're never going back to work. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. TikTok versus Facebook versus Instagram. As a monthly average user, it's, it's a metric. It's a data point that means something to people like me it, because we could extrapolate advertisers on top of it. On average, users around the world spend nearly 26 hours on TikTok a month. That's one day a month, right? A little bit more than a day. If I do my math correctly, I'd pull out my abacus. That's up from eight hours just four years ago. So eight hours a month, all the way to 26. Now, Facebook is at 16 hours per month. Now, if you do the math there, that's a significant percentage jump by TikTok over Facebook. Instagram, I guess, and I again, this one, I already feel a little bit old. Instagram, and I have, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram, Rob Black Show, Rob Black Show. Um. But Instagram only comes in at 7.9 hours a month. Now, again, that makes sense because it's a kind of a faster formula and you're not doing a lot of reading. Um, but who would you invest with right now? The one at the top or the one at the bottom? Facebook and Instagram look a little saturated. Again, not bad if you add them up and you go, that's the metaverse. That's 23.9 hours. The average user uses per month. That'll win some battles. And yet at the same time, it weighs heavy on us, right? I think that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Anyhow, let's move on. Um, the gender gap, I think, is alive and well. In 22 cities across the country, women under 30 earn the same or more than men of their age or cohort in 2019. That's positive. Young women earned 102% of what young men earned in New York and Washington, D.C. in 2019. The cities where women are making more have something in common. 
um, they're bigger cities. And the only two cities, the only three cities that I could find that women make more than men are Washington, D.C., New York City, and Los Angeles. It's about 50-50. It's about the same as far as what they earn. So I think that's an issue we need to address. And the reason I bring that up is because my mom, my mother was a classic mother. Trying to explain this to my children. Um, What does that mean? She stayed at home. She raised kids. She raised six kids. I think she should be invited to the White House because she raised six kids and none of us went to jail. Whereas we used to tell her, mom, none of us have been to prison. Now, jail, that's a little bit different than prison. But none of us went to prison. All of us got college degrees. Do you know why? Because she expected us to. Because she didn't. My mom was so naive. (laughs) When she was 17, 18, she still thought she could get pregnant by sitting on a toilet seat. What's that tell you about life as Rob Black? Now, I want to talk about REITs in a minute. But I talked a little bit about different ways of having income in your portfolio when you retire. And I said, I'd like to have my real estate, my renters continue to pay me. I also want to own some REITs, real estate investment trusts. Let me go ahead and talk about it now. I don't talk about this enough on the show, but you could invest in commercial real estate and commercial real estate can cover a lot of things like apartments, office space, malls, hospital REITs, Healthcare professional REITs. So like a healthcare professional, have you ever been to a, I don't want to call it a mall, but a, a professional building area where there's like 10 oncologists sharing on office and probably equipment too. And what this is, is there'll be a company that goes around and set up the Oncology Center of America. I'm making this up for the record. And they'll open up 10 of them. They'll manage the property and they'll get the doctors and the doctors will pay the bills and then you as an owner in the real estate investment partnership, real estate investment trust, you get a large part of the revenue that comes in to pay the rents. Plus you get the exposure to the real estate. So the real estate goes up in value, you go up in value. I would much rather prefer you buy REITs. Um, Person working with me, he's in his mid thirties, probably makes between him and his spouse, a hundred thousand with potential earnings up to 200,000. He can't afford a home, not here. So what I would say for him to do is start putting some money into real estate investment trusts, REITs. And you can go to a website, investinreits.com, investinreits.com. Just know that it's a sales pitch. A lot of websites you can get good information out of. It'll be biased, but there's still some pretty good stuff. And if you take a look at Investopedia and type in REITs, that's R-E-I-T-S, Real Estate Investment Trust. You'll learn all about it. I think the average person, like my kids, um, they're not yet 18, but let's say that they were, and they're coming to me and say, Dad, I, I want to buy a house. I'm like, no, 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 no. What you want to do is go to college because my mom wanted me to go to college. And he'll go, but your degree isn't in anything that you're currently doing. I'm like, Exactly. I didn't learn anything, uh, advanced algorithmic equations to do what I do. Um, But I learned how to get up and kiss a professor's butt. I learned how to not get fired. I learned how to play the game. I learned that networking was important. You know why I learned networking was important? 
because I saw fraternity brothers dating sorority sisters. And you know what that was? That was basically a network of paid friends. It was the first introduction that I ever had in my life where like, oh, wait, if I pay to be a cool person, I'll be cool. It, it wasn't for me. I got beat up by a fraternity once. Um, but it was really nice. After they beat me up, they um, put a plastic bag over my head, drove me home. You're saying, why do they put a plastic bag over your head? Because you were in vomit? No, because uh, I was bleeding. <laughs> they didn't want me to bleed in their car. Anyhow, that's a longer story for another day. Let's just say the Mets won the World Series. No, the Mets lost the World Series, and I had too much to drink that night. Okay, so let's go back to REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust. There are ways for you to create income and own real estate. It was They were created by our Congress in the 60s as a way for wealthy white people, essentially Congress, back in the day to own real estate, to own it diversified outside of their own state across the country to get that diversification. They um, hid in the stock market. And I think they're one of those truly wonderful little investment vehicles. Uh, do I want 20% of your portfolio in it? No. Maybe 10 to 20% of your income portfolio, maybe, but not your total portfolio. So REITs are a strong hedge against inflation, which is kicked up to a 41-year high. Um, I own some REITs. I think everyone should, should consider them, R-E-I-T-S. And I tell my kids, you know, until you're 25, don't buy a home. Until you, you know, practice a relationship or two, don't buy a home. Uh, invest in REITs, and later in life, if you want to cash that out or use that as a down payment, you can do that. Um, I don't know. REITs are an interesting play during times of inflation. We're in times of inflation. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Find us at robblackshow.com. Robblackshow.com. We're starting to finish up earnings season. We're dealing with inflation and how it's affecting corporations' profit margins. Target's down 25% on disappointing earnings news. Walmart was down yesterday, and they're getting clipped again today, kind of the grenade effect of being associated with retail. Retail's having shipping problems. Retail's having supply chain problems. Retail's having inflation problems, passing it on to the customer, getting less goods for their higher amount of money. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Patrick, how are you today? Hey, Rob. I'm doing fine this morning. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. Um what do we want to hit on as, as we wrap up the first quarter earnings season? Well, I, I think probably the main point to hit on as we wrap it up is that we're just getting started. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, we think in terms of, you know, profit margin pressures, they're going to become, uh, you know, an increasing part of the earnings narrative. Um, you and I have talked a little bit about that in recent weeks and, uh, the assumption that earnings estimates are going to have to come down and the um, and the discounting that's already taking place in a number of areas in the market, and particularly within that consumer discretionary sector, that uh, would suggest that market participants are not confident that uh, the current earnings estimates are going to be uh, maintained. And, you know, one of the things that we have uh, pointed out was the topic of my big picture article uh, that I posted last Friday uh, is, is just that the underperformance of the consumer discretionary sector this year, it, it's not just Target, um, excuse me, it's not just Tesla and Amazon.com. You know, it reaches pretty far and wide. Um, and that uh, suggests to us, frankly, that, that the, you know, the market thinks that the consumer, 
which is currently strong by by most accounts, is going to show some weakness in in coming months, uh, most likely due to the persistent inflation pressures that are feeling at the gas pump and the grocery aisle uh, when they go to renew their rents and uh, really in all facets of their economic lives, uh, they're seeing higher prices. And so uh, that'll eventually wear them down as what the market's anticipating anyway. So these consumer discretionary stocks just aren't getting any love, despite the idea that uh, everyone keeps telling us that the consumer's in really good shape. I think that that's a question that we should play around with a little bit more if we can. Is the consumer really in good shape? Because we know they got stimulus checks. We know that they paid down some debt during the pandemic. Um, they have higher wages. The employment number seems to be agreeing with they're in good shape. Um, but also I saw some things like uh, Airbnb yesterday. There was a story on them that said, yeah, later in the summer, we're expecting a dip from consumers because they may not be in as good shape as we think they are, or they may start becoming prone to the idea of it's bad out there. I keep hearing about this inflation, so I don't want to spend. How is the consumer doing in your opinion? Well, you know, objectively, just, you know, looking at the data, the the consumer is in good shape. There's reason to say as much, right? Um, You know, we have an unemployment rate that's close to the lowest on record. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the ratio of household debt payments to total disposable income is also close to the lowest on record. Uh, You have, uh, you know, wages that are rising nicely. But I guess the one caveat there is that they still aren't keeping pace with inflation. And so, uh, the consumer is losing um, uh, spending power, if you will. And so the, the risk that's being run right now, or the concern anyway, is that consumers perhaps wanting to maintain, you know, the lifestyle they've been living for, you know, the last year or so, um, will be spending out of savings, perhaps, to keep funding that lifestyle and or taking on, you know, credit at a time when uh, perhaps the economy's well, not perhaps, but at a time when the economy will be weakening and perhaps lead to, um, you know, uh, job cuts, you know, that are not, you know, really part of the picture at the moment and to any large extent. But, you know, if you do get an economy that slows appreciably uh, and if we move into 2023 or we see, some type of recession in 2023, you can bet that you're going to see more job cut announcements, right? And so the concern now is that if consumers are spending out of savings currently and taking on more debt now, uh, when things really, you know, get bad or slow down appreciably, um, you know, they won't have the means necessarily to, to weather that as well as they might. Uh, and so, therefore, you get lower spending activity across most discretionary categories. And uh, and that is, you know, that is, I think, the fear that's wrapped up in the marketplace right now. And, again, why uh, so many consumer-oriented stocks just are not doing well, despite, you know, the narrative and the data, frankly, that suggests consumers currently, and that's the operative word, are in good shape. Where do we go from here? Yesterday, Jerome Powell kind of said, we're going to fight inflation. He kind of took a tougher tone. Do we go there? Do we worry about inflation? Do we look towards the summertime and maybe a little bit of a breather in the markets? Where do you think our conversation should head? Well, I, I think I think we have to stay focused on what the, the Fed is doing. Um, and I think what the 
the, the chair is saying and um, and what is becoming you know painfully apparent to a lot of market participants is that um, you know the Fed's number one priority right now is to get inflation under control and uh, you know and what the Fed chair acknowledged yesterday and really what he said in his press conference after the FMC meeting um, you know is that they will keep raising rates if inflation doesn't come down. And they're not, you know, what was implied is that they're not concerned so much about uh, the stock market going down. Um, they'll be keeping an eye on financial conditions and the stock market is, is kind of one component of that. Asset prices is one component of uh, looking at uh, a tightening in financial conditions. Uh, but at the moment, the, the narrative coming out of the Fed is not creating any confidence in this notion that, you know, the Stock market participants can rely on the so-called Fed put coming into play, uh, you know, anytime soon, unless there's some real, you know, uh, real massive sell-off beyond what we've seen currently. And so, um, and so that has you know investors on edge here because uh, there's just kind of you know no good sense of where there could be a floor here. Uh, and what the pain threshold is, but uh, it's evident that the the you know the the floor uh, in terms of how it relates to what the Fed might do in terms of any shift in monetary policy, the floor seems to be much lower than you know, what people would think, and um, and that's concerning, right, for a lot of people that kind of grew up in a market where they kind of always relied on the Fed acting as the stopgap when you know the stock market didn't do so hot, so. Um, you know, we have to keep an eye on the Fed um, and, and you know, what it's saying. But, of course, you got to keep a really close eye on what's going on with, with inflation. And, unfortunately, what you heard out of Target this morning, too, is suggesting that these cost pressures are likely to persist in, in coming quarters. You know, we get back to that notion that while inflation might be peaking, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to come down to any appreciable degree. And, and what the Fed chair said yesterday is that, Inflation has to come down in a clear and convincing way for the Fed to kind of take a step back here. And so the market's grappling with that today as well. Uh, We think just, you know, the idea that the Fed's going to stay in a hawkish mindset and be more aggressive with its rate hikes um, because it's going to have to be because it's not going to see any clear and convincing sign that inflation's coming down appreciably here in the near term. What else are you looking at that might be worthy of chatting about? Um, maybe a big picture column, maybe um, a rolling blackout theory of uh, mm-hmm. a bear market, a rolling bear market. Uh, anything that's jumping on you? Because the news is pretty bleak right now, and it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, mm-hmm. green green shoots, as we call them. Well, you know, that uh, you probably might have discussed yesterday that uh, B of A Global Fund Manager Survey uh, which had some interesting revelations in it, uh, talking about how, you know, cash levels were the lowest uh, or the highest they've been on uh, for, for some time since 9-11, really, amongst fund managers, and that uh, there's been the largest underweight position in equities uh, since May 2020, which obviously was a really dark time, you know, coming um, when the pandemic was first hitting. Um, you know, those are good contrarian signals. Um, you know, could point out, however, that uh, the cash levels were, even appreciably higher than they are currently, you know, when the market was selling off during the, the dot-com bust and also uh, during the financial crisis, which kind of suggests that, you know, there's still 
uh, you can't take that as a, as a strong contrarian indicator at face value because there's still, you know, room to run, if you will, to raise cash. Um, and what was also interesting was that, you know, fund managers were, were, you know, suggesting that, you know, companies should be looking to strengthen their balance sheet further right now and not necessarily use their uh, cash to uh, for CapEx or uh, buying back stock, which is a really interesting, you know, revelation at this point, because when you're when you're arguing for that, you're argu- you're you're basically suggesting that you know things are going to get tough here, and you're going to need that cash uh, at you know at the ready to deal with you know perhaps a more challenging economic period. So uh, perhaps you know orchestrating something around that whole idea here as it relates to a big picture article this week. But yeah, unfortunately, you know the the economic outlook isn't so great right now, and you know hate to keep you know raining on the parade but i mean that's just the objective reality of things here and we need to work through a a challenging period as it relates to the interest rate outlook the inflation outlook and the earnings outlook and then hopefully you know you know we get to a reset level and and things start trending higher again but could be challenging here in the near term interesting because elon musk talked about the next 18 months kind of recessionary and that's i don't think he's all that far off from what you and i have experienced historically as far as cycles go on the downside. With that being said, thank you so much for joining us. People can find you at briefing.com. That's briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. I read his content every single day. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. 74% of people don't think they'll ever achieve high net worth status. That's kind of interesting, right? Definitions for how much it takes to be high net worth vary from 400,000 to a million. High net worth in Oklahoma is probably very different than high net worth in Los Angeles. Calculating your personal net worth can be helpful for identifying and achieving your goals. High net worth is a term that I think uh, makes some people wince, right? 32 respondents of a recent survey agree with the broadly accepted definition of individual high net worth is a million or more in investable assets. Only 23% of survey respondents believe they will ever achieve high net worth. Just 35% of people who are confident they know what net worth means. And 91% say they've never heard of it. What did you just say? Okay, I get the one-third, 31% don't know how to calculate high net worth. I get it. But the 91% who say they've never heard of it, that's kind of weird. Determine your net worth. Let's talk about this for just uno momentero. That's Spanish, you know, for one moment. You start up by adding up all your assets. If you send me an email today and say, do I have enough to retire? I'm going to say, um, what's your net worth? Add up your assets. You're checking your savings accounts, your 401ks, your retirement savings, your other investments, your home's value. Then subtract your debts, which includes credit card balances, student loans, and mortgages. The result equals your personal net worth. There's a lot of apps out there that'll help you with this. I'm pro app. Credit Karma, 
who is an app that I talk about all the time on my show, I have on my phone and I like checking my credit score on occasion, but even more importantly, Credit Karma says, congratulations for opening a new account. And I was like, wait, wait, did I open a new account? So I, I look at what Credit Karma said congratulations about, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I didn't open a, an account to buy tires. So I guess the, the, the thing is these days is you don't open up a MasterCard and go out and you know, go into Tiffany's and get jewelry. You open up a, a credit card from kind of a, a shady company. And I, when I say shady, just not tier, not tier one, you know? A credit card associated with a wheel company in your local town. So I called them and I was like, that wasn't me. And they politely asked me, you know, three minutes of questions. And they're like, do you mind giving me your social security number? I'm like, well, I did call you. And that's a little bit weird still though, right? Because I'm investigating whether fraud occurred. Now you're asking me for the number one thing you don't want to give in fraud. But long story short, it took about 10 days, 15 days. And Credit Karma uh, notified me that that account had been closed and taken off my credit report. I was like stoked. And you know how you can hear commercials on this station and television about monitoring your credit. I've even known a financial planner who talks about spending, you know, $150, $200 a year. So worth it because they'll, they'll do the legal battles for you. I totally get that. But Credit Karma warned me for free. I got off my butt. I made the call myself. Is it, is it as good as a credit monitoring service? To be honest with you, I don't think so. But do I feel comfortable? I do. My family had a car stolen roughly 12 months ago. Um, it was 13 months ago and we recovered it 11 months ago. And during that period of time, a lot of our identity was in the car. I know, I know I'm that stupid. You're like, you're incredibly genius when it comes to talking money, but you're pretty stupid when it comes to putting your personal information left in your car, right? Yep. So back to net worth. Is your net worth positive or negative? Do you have more debt than you have equity? Do the things that you add up come in underneath your, your, your liabilities? For a lot of people to do until you get later in life. And someone like a Donald Trump, and I'm just giving this as an example, when you have multiple properties and you have multiple debt on them, your net worth is going to be affected by that egregiously. So some people live their whole life with a lot of real estate debt. Being able to service it is important. Not being able to service it like Donald Trump's done a couple of times has led to two or three bankruptcies in his career because he has a negative, um, he's negative, in de he's deficit in assets versus liabilities, right? I'm just telling you that not to be political in any way, shape or form, but you got to be careful. Like I'm pushing, I'm in my fifties. And my thought is I don't want to work till the day I die, but also I don't want to have, you know, 10 properties that I'm financing and servicing when I die at 91. And when I die at 91, I'm going to say something just totally messed up. Like chocolate bar. Necco wafer. And my kids will be like, what did dad mean by Necco wafer? Retirement accounts represent 55% of wealth of high net worth individuals in America. There's a website called Personal Capital. So when you start looking at your net worth and 55% of it is basically your retirement accounts, how wealthy are you? For instance, my net worth is, it's pretty good. 
Um, it's more than seven figures. And I'm very, very pleased by that. Except for the fact that a lot of my net worth is tied up in real estate, probably about 4 million. And some of my net worth is tied up in retirement accounts, like 401ks. And then some of my net worth is tied up in equity that is private equity that has not been public yet. And then I have my smallest amount of savings or regular accounts. It's not small anyway. No, that's not true. I, I want to take that back. It's not my smallest. I do have some net worth tied up in regular stock accounts. I just don't like selling. I've got an issue. So I'm a little bit more cash poor than you would imagine for a guy who's got high net worth. Most of my net worth is tied towards retirement. So I don't really enjoy it until I quit and retire. And for me, the idea of leaving a legacy for my children is more important than getting a Lambo. If you ever receive a Lamborghini, just say, hey, Paul Walker, slow down because I'm going to be the next Paul Walker. I know. Was that too soon? Was that too soon? Paul Walker's been dead for like 10 years. We're allowed to say, wow, he had it all. Really good looking man. Movie star looks. Movie star looks. And he, he died in a car crash. Speeding. No, thank you. Says Ron Black. That's not for me. If I had his looks, there's a pretty good chance I'm just going to sit on the corner and wave at people. So net worth is something you should play with. And it's something you should try to understand as best as you can. Um, and then you look at your net worth and you go, okay, where's the dollar value at? Where's inflation at? And you kind of see where you're, you're losing sometimes. I think it's a fair statement that says, I don't want to stop growing my assets. I'd rather have them go sideways. And right now, if inflation's going up 8%, I need my investments to go up 8% so I can go sideways. So I don't wake up in the middle of the night and go, Necco wafer. And then I'll go, wow, I had it all and I should have done something. So anyway, figure out your net worth if you can. It's not that hard to do. Personal capital, good website to play with. Um, there's plenty of apps out there um, to help you. Credit Karma does a nice job. If you join an app like a Robinhood, um, and I don't really recommend Robinhood, it's okay. I just find that it's uh, if it gets you to trade more, that's a bad thing. I'd rather you invest more, which is a good thing. And for the record, this year, I've been putting money into a, a Roth 401k. And it's lovely because this year has been down in January, down in February, down in March, down in April, down probably in May, right? So I feel like all the money that I've been putting in is are buying shares cheaper. And in 5, 10, 15 years, I'll be like, wow, I wish I had more money to invest in 2022. That's probably if I had a list of 20 regrets. First marriage would be one for sure. Another one would be in the down years, I didn't invest more. I didn't like, I've got two kids. I could probably sell one of them on the black market today. Probably get a million dollars, blonde hair, blue eyes. You use that money and invest right now when the markets are down. A couple years from now, find them, tell them that his dad loves them, and say, Here's two million dollars because I sold you when things were low. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know what I always thought would be a funny idea for a 
uh, a reality show. If you want to see America lose their mind, have someone like Travis Scott adopt two Swedish children, blonde hair, blue eye kids. America would lose their mind. Angelina Jolie. I know, I know, I know, Simon. Get off my back. <clears throat> but we, we, for a developed nation, we're not very developed. It's all I'm telling you. Um, don't hear much from Angelina Jolie. And do you remember when she went on that incredible spree of adopting kids like Madonna? What up with that? Social Security's retirement age is moving to 67. Some experts say that could even go higher. So when we're talking about your net worth and getting to retirement, you know, I say I'm in my 50s and I won't be able to get Social Security for another 17 years after I turn 50. That doesn't seem fair. We'll talk about that and more. Um, But as we're living longer, our government has to up that Social Security age to keep people working. That's important. But also to keep money coming in to service Social Security wars and other things, right? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. For the record, I would never sell a child. Just for any of you out there who are a little, shall we say, imbalanced chemically. It's a show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.